across the sea of character sheets, deep in the forest of D20s lies the mountain of source books. Welcome to the Mountain of Source Books. We hope you enjoyed your climb. My name is Jeffrey Vincent Dale, and today we will be talking about the D&D movie from the year 2000. It's a bit of a longer episode this week, so let's dive right in. All right. It's been a few weeks now since we mentioned it, but we are finally delivering on our promise to review the D&D movie from the year 2000. Yes, and boy, was that a treat. Yeah. <laughs> Let's call it that. <laughs> <laughs> so we started off with opening narration. Uh, it's set in a new setting called Izmir, where mages are like a ruling class over non-magical people. I, I guess there are worse setups. I wish they just used one of the existing D&D worlds, but... I get why they would want to do something D&D-ish, but not exactly like D&D. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like it kind of defeats the purpose of adapting something if you're not leaning into it. Yeah. Okay, that's fair. But yeah, it, it wasn't a terrible idea to go with a new setting. Just kind of odd. So there's sort of a conflict between the Empress named Savina, who kind of wants to throw out the whole entire system because she's noticed that it's unfair to non-magical people. At no point does the movie explain how she arrived at that conclusion. It would have been nice to see her, like, say, sneak out of the palace and see some horrible things going on or something. So, yeah, it's, it's just generic. She's the good guy, so she wants good things. And it's pretty much her against the whole entire government. Uh, and then on the other side is... Profion, played by Jeremy Irons. Uh, I have never seen anyone overact like that. <laughs> it was a once-in-a-lifetime performance, I think. <laughs> scar has a scar! <laughs> but yeah, after the opening narration explains all that, moves down to the dungeons where Profion is doing an experimentation with some kind of magical artifact I've seen the movie twice now I rewatched it just before this to check my notes and make sure I didn't miss anything and I still don't know what the magic staff he's using down there is because later in the movie we find out that there's two of them there's the one owned by the empress which looks completely different from the one he's using and then the one the whole movie is about going on a quest to get so what's this third one? It looks completely different. It looks very cheap, by the way. <laughs> so I guess maybe it's supposed to be some kind of, like, duplicate that he created to try and copy the powers, and it just fails? Because it does fail. It, it shows up in some weird, one of those weird spinning wheel things that they threw into every movie in the 90s. Finding the plot of this took... Uh, took some time. Understanding the plot and even finding the point uh, took a little time. Yeah, th there was some confusing story choices. Yes. 
I, I suspect some of it may have been explained in scenes that were cut out of the movie, but I mean, I'm kind of glad the movie's not longer. <laughs> uh, so yeah, the Profion is down there with his down in the dungeons with his second in command, Damodar, who for some reason has blue lips. It's never explained. It might be. Oh my makeup. god, that was so <laughs> distracting. Yes. If it was makeup, then fine. But, like, tell us that, maybe. <laughs> it, was, that was, it was distracting. Okay, so, first impression of the movie, you're introduced to all this stuff. I just want to describe some things. So, the cinematography and acting gave me, like, Princess Bride vibes. And mm. then you had... Power Rangers CGI thrown in there, and the side... I I wrote in my notes specifically, and the sidekick of the villain has obnoxiously distracting lipstick. Yes. That, That is in my first impression notes. I wrote three main things down, and that is the third thing. It was that distracting. Yes. And they use a lot of CGI. They had a lot of confidence in that CGI for how bad it was. I mean, admittedly, it is 23 years later now, so we have a lot of hindsight. So maybe it didn't seem as bad no. back then, but no, I don't what, remember. <laughs> no, what movies were out then? No, that was a year before the first Lord of the Rings movie. And Lord of the Rings was significantly better with its CGI, correct? I'm pretty sure they had a significantly better budget, though. Okay. But yeah, well, you're right. Fair. That's still contemporary enough. And Harry Potter came out around that time, the first one. Yeah. Yeah, the, the dragons did not compare to, say, the trolls from... Uh, the troll from Harry Potter in the dungeon. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so... Yeah, Profion and Damodar are down in the dungeon using this maybe counterfeit staff that's not explained to try and control a dragon that they have, which also not explained. We don't know where dragons come from in this setting. They literally just magically appear the two times that happens. Yeah, we know that there's some kind of uh, way to control dragons, and that's that's like a big deal. Uh, mm-hmm. The one queen person, what's her name? Empress Savina. Or yeah, Savina. Empress. The Empress Savina has the staff that controls the dragons, and the dude that voiced Scar has the fake one. And yes. then he's trying to... I think he's trying to steal the queens. Yes, he is trying to steal the queens. He tries to make everyone like, oh, she's crazy. You can't possibly think that peace is possible with these humans. No. On a second watch, I think what they were going for is that he tried making a fake version of her staff first. So he could be all underhanded about taking over. And then when that fails, as we'll see in the scene... Well, we'll get to the what his plan is in the next scene. So yeah, he he uses the staff that I think is a duplicate, and it fails, and the dragon tries to kill him. They pull a Star Wars and drop the gate on top of its neck and kill it. 
similar to what happens in Return of the Jedi, which another pattern I've recognized. (laughs) (laughs) Lots of Star Wars copying going on. And then the blood from the dragon leaks out and hits the water and ignites for some reason. Maybe that's something from D&D. I don't know. I've never run anything with dragons in it. So maybe that's part of the lore, but I've never heard of that. No, that was random and confusing. And it only happens to catch the attention of our main characters. Yes. So our heroes are the main character named Ridley and the comedy sidekick named Snails, who is played by Marlon Wayans. Snails was holding this entire movie together. He was definitely trying. (laughs) He was putting in the effort. He was somehow the only good actor. And still his acting was... His acting was bad on purpose, though, because he was the comedy sidekick. But yeah, it was... Yeah, there's there's a point in the movie... We'll we'll get to it, but there's a point in the movie where it, it feels like he has realized the quality of the movie he's in, but we'll get to that. So the, the dragon blood has ignited the river and Ridley and snails see it. And they do an exposition dump where they complain about how the mages are oppressing, oppressing the non mages. And they decide that they're going to get revenge against them by robbing the mage college. Yes. So that's all the time we spend with our main characters for now, because we have to go back to Protheon, because this movie switches up scenes a lot. So he's holding a secret council meeting of the government and trying to turn everyone against the Empress. And he basically tries to... He projects his plan as if it were hers. And he explains what his plan is by saying she's going to do it. He's saying that her plan is to essentially take over the government and hand everything over to the people. Which I don't understand, because why would she need to do that? She's already governing. And he also mentioned something about, this will cause a war, don't you understand? No, it wouldn't cause a war. Unless you guys went against her. I think what he's getting at, and it isn't quite clear because of the quality of the writing, I think he's saying that there will be a mage war, or a war between the mages and the non-mages. It's not entirely made clear in the dialogue. That made absolutely no sense, because again, if she was hoping for equality and she was running the government anyway, there's no battling. She yeah, just... She's called the Empress. So isn't yeah. this an empire? Why is there, why is there like a, a, a government? Why are there like governors that have control of anything if she is the empress? Am I misunderstanding how empires work? He's basically trying to convince these governors that they need to take the staff away from her because she's going to use it to seize total control away from them. And being politicians, they don't want to lose their power. The next scene shifts locations again, even though they really didn't need to, because the next thing that happens is the Empress hearing about it. She could have just, like, heard about the meeting and walked in, but instead they have her hear about it from a mage named Vildan, and the two of them are just walking down a hallway talking about 
her fairer society that she wants, and a possible plan to stop Profion. Uh, it's at this point that Vilden lets the Empress in on the existence of the Rod of Savril, which somehow, coincidentally, has basically the same powers as her scepter. There's no connection ever explained in this movie as to why there are two of them. Nope. Just, and There's just two of them, and a fake one. They mention a dragon war later, which I guess maybe the Rod of Savriel could have been made to battle against the other one, but they don't explain that. Too much speculation. <laughs> yes, they leave too much to speculation. Again, maybe they cut some scenes where there were explanations. I don't know. Anyway. But yeah, so they come up with the plan where she is going to, they're going to obtain the Rod of Savriel, and she is going to hold on to that secretly while giving in to the demands of the council to hand over her scepter. So it looks like she is doing what they want while she is still maintaining some level of power that would keep them from truly, keep Profion from truly taking over the government. So, smart move, admittedly. It's a good idea. Unfortunately, they are overheard by an imp that I think is working for Profion. It, it might be working for Damodar. It's never clear. It, it shows up and whispers to Damodar later, but... Basically, they're, they're, on, they're all on the bad guy's side. I don't know who specifically it works for, but the imp lets them know. And so Profion sends Damodar to find the location of the rod and then kill Vilden so nobody else can find out where it's at. And then we shift back again, another scene change, to the Mage School Tower where Ridley and Snails are scaling a really tall tower to try and sneak in. Uh, at that point, we're introduced to a mage named Marina. The most useless freaking mage ever. I kind of both want to question their decision-making and also give them kudos for sticking to the lore, because there is a lore reason why she's useless, but why did they write that into the script? <laughs> they could have just gave her use of her powers. They didn't have to take her powers away. I mean, I presume the explanation is that it would be too expensive for the budget to do all those special effects. But pretty early on, she loses her magical focus. It's like uh, this bracelet thing that she wears that she can use her magic through. Okay, but like, why is she useless in doing like normal people things too? She was not just useless as a maid. She was useless as a person. Like, that was obnoxious. She gets to be useless because she's she's the the female love interest. Was she? Was she the love interest? Yeah, we'll talk about that. <laughs> we'll talk about it at the exact moment it becomes relevant, nearly at the end of the movie. <laughs> okay. Marina is working with Vilden to try and... They call it decoding a scroll. I'm not sure that's the exact right word for using magic to try and solve the problem. But yeah, they, while they're doing that, they hear uh, Ridley and Snails make some noise and it catches their attention. Marina finds them and uses this really useless-looking rope spell 
that wraps around them so loosely that they have to actively like pull against each other to create enough tension to hold the rope up <laughs> because it's so loose. And then Damodar shows up. Mariner realizes that there's some trouble, steals the scroll, forgets that she's got the two thieves wrapped in a rope carried behind her. And they, so she jumps through a portal and drags them with her. Damodar kills the, the mage Vildan. And then I, I'm not sure why the good guys got away because the very next thing that happens, they pop out of the portal and then the bad guys are right there. So seems like a waste of budget. This, this entire movie was a waste of budget. <laughs> I can't argue with that. I'm curious as to how she's the love interest now. But continue. So yeah, they, they're, they're outside the tower. They, they aren't looking where they're running, so the good guys trip and fall into a pile of trash. And that wakes up a dwarf that is sleeping in the trash. He's a comedic relief character. Uh, I'm curious, can you tell me what the dwarf's name is? Of course I can't. Yeah, I, I watched it last night. Having watched it twice, I don't remember them ever referring to him by name. He's really not a pivotal character. He just kind of is there to distract the bad guys while the good guys get away. Yes, he, he is the comedic relief character who happens to be useful sometimes. But, yeah, it, his, his name is Elwood, by the way. I, it's in the end credits. That's the only reason I even know what his name is. <laughs> his name is not useful. He pops up randomly throughout the movie to do something useful. He was more useful than the mage. That's with true. With the name. That's and true. he didn't have any fancy powers. He just happened to be a goofball at the right time in order to make a distraction. Yes, and they use him for gross-out humor and bad jokes. So, Still yeah, not particularly more useful fond. than the mage. <laughs> but yeah, it's time to rip off Star Wars again. Because they, ju- they escape by jumping down into the sewers. Like yep. from A New Hope. Uh, Damodar goes back to Profion and gets scolded for letting Marina get away with the scroll. The Empress is now aware that Profion is moving against her and has sent out her best tracker, an elf named Norda. Profion decides that he can't trust Damodar to get the job done anymore, so he casts some kind of spell on him that causes these weird, like, worm things to pop out of his ears. I have no idea what these things are. I don't recognize them as a creature from D&D. I got the impression that he basically put a parasite that was slowly pressing on nerves and stuff and trying to basically causing him more and more and more pain the longer he took to finish his mission. Maybe that, that actually does match up with the way that the character's makeup changes throughout the movie. He gets increasingly red around the ears. And yet those lips are still bright blue. Maybe we'll learn more about this creature when it becomes relevant in the sequel. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, what? that's what I'm going to say about that. I'm going to leave you hanging there. <laughs> no, no, no. They made a sequel. Oh, yeah. They made enough money off of this one to justify a sequel. 
Oh, well, it's direct to DVD, but yeah. And Damodar's the only guy who comes back. I hate everything. <laughs> but yeah, we'll talk about that if we ever get to that movie. I do own it now. It came in a double pack with the first one. <laughs> Can we not get to it? Can we pretend it doesn't exist? <laughs> so, time to rip off Star Wars again. It's been five minutes since the last time they did it. Uh, now we're at Moss Eisley Cantina. I mean, not really, but it's clear that that's what they're going for. I hate everything. Uh, so, the, our heroes, I put in quotes, uh, are sitting around the table trying to figure out the scroll. So, even though a master mage, an important person at a mage college, could not figure out how to solve this magical block on this scroll, this random thief says that his dad used to use magic to lock down blueprints for stuff, I, I guess to keep people from stealing the designs or something? I don't know. It's a very offhand remark with no explanation whatsoever. But yeah, this, this random guy living on the streets just happens to know more about eliminating this magical block on this scroll, and so he solves it. It just raises way more questions than it answers. This entire movie does that. Yes. He randomly says the right magic words, and then both him and Marina are, like, sucked into the scroll? Wait, there were magic words? I don't remember there being magic words. I thought he just messed with the map. Like, he put his hands on it in a certain way, and he said three words. And then he got sucked into it, and then Marina, like, reached over to try and figure out what was going on, and then she got sucked into it. Okay, never mind. That that part didn't have the explanation, but maybe my maybe it was so stupid my brain just, like, auto-blocked it out? Yeah, well, it, it's been a lot longer since you watched it than since I watched it. You you watched it a couple of weeks ago with me, and then I re-watched it last night to, to review my notes. Uh, so it's still fresh in my mind. So they disappear and there's like a time skip. We don't know how long they're inside this scroll. Snails and the dwarf are hanging out there talking. And Snails sees Norda, the elf tracker who is under the employ of the Empress. The bad guys all storm in and the good guys escape because the comedy relief character is more useful than the mage. And then they're in a field. Yes, and then Ridley and Marina pop back into existence and tell the other characters about an adventure that would have been far more interesting to see. They had talked to a wraith within the scroll that told them everything they needed to know about the Rod of Savriel. And the reason that that didn't show up in the movie is budget. Guaranteed. Probably. So Ridley manipulates snails into agreeing to steal a ruby that they need. They go to a city called Antius and find the Thieves' Guild because I guess the Wraith knew that the head of the Thieves' Guild had it in a maze. Uh, and it's at this point that Marlon Wayans, I think, realizes what movie he's in, because he just starts doing a bunch of stuff in the background. <laughs> yeah. He steals a stuffed cat and then just, like, uses it to look around corners. It got a chuckle out of me. 
He gets through the maze because he's the hero, gets the well, ruby. Maze in quotes. It's literally just three rooms in a sequence with traps. They they switch from uh, ripping off Star Wars, ripping off Indiana Jones. Yeah. But hey, at least they did try and put actual traps in a D&D movie. That's true to the system. So they get the ruby. The thief says he's going to betray them, but he doesn't get the chance because Damodar shows up again because he always shows up. Uh, there's another brawl between the Thieves Guild and Damodar's soldiers. You guys escape, of course. Well, they almost es- Well, most of them escape. Marina does not because she drops the, ro- the scroll and then Damodar steps on it, by which I mean he clearly misses it and steps next to it. <laughs> oh, yeah, I remember that. Uh, and then he, he gets grabs Marina and the map and then goes to the the location that the Rod of Savriel is at. That's right, because the why was the mission of getting the map and rescuing the maid something the two humans had to do alone? Yeah, we'll get to that. So Damodar interrogates Marina. First, he tries to manipulate her and pretend that he's not, he's being like coerced into working for Profion. But when that doesn't work, he pops those worm things out of his ears and they show that they have some kind of powers to read people's minds. Oh, that's right. He sucks knowledge out of her head through her ears because that's how brains work. It was a creepy scene, though. I'll give him that. I mean, the special effects don't hold up at all, but... (laughs) It was stupid. (laughs) So the heroes arrive at the castle. Ridley and Stales sneak in on their own for some reason. You would think you'd get an explanation in that scene, but no, it comes later. Uh, They evade some guards, some creatures that should be really smart based on D&D lore, but aren't. They're basically just guard dogs. They split up. Stales goes for the map. Ridley goes for Marina. And then we get our explanation for why they went alone, because it switches back to the team. Norda, at this point, has caught up with the heroes and is working with them, and she's talking to the dwarf, and he says, reasonably, that they should go in and help. And her response is, and I quote, This task they must complete alone. No. Norda spends half of her time on screen being cool in fights, and the other half of her time very poorly explaining away plot holes that really should, that plot problems that really should be addressed. Ridley and Snails both find what they're looking for. Snails finds the map, but when he reaches for it, he walks onto a rug that's actually like magic quicksand. And then Damodar catches him and then starts beating him in a very one-sided fight that feels really out of place in this movie. Like it does not match the tone at all. And then the others catch up to the fight, and Snails gets stabbed and thrown off a cliff, and he's dead. Ridley gets stabbed, but Marina finds a bag of, like, magic dust, and she's finally able to use magic again for the second time in the movie. And she knocks out Damodar, and they escape. Switch back to the council. The council demands the Empress hand over the scepter right now. She refuses in one of the most wooden speeches that I've ever heard in a movie. And then Profion... Once she leaves, he essentially convinces the council to declare war on her. Oh, if you don't declare war, there will be war! (laughs) That's basically what he says. 
And they're all just like, oh, yeah, yeah, no, it totally makes sense. Let's do it. Uh, then the heroes make their way to an elf city where we meet Tom Baker. Unfortunately, even the doctor can't save the movie, though. Um, he, he delivers some exposition about elf magic and dragons and how the Rod of Savriel will upset the balance of magic. And then there's a glowing accordion. Yeah, the, they heal Ridley, give him a bunch of gear. Oh, and then Marina and Ridley have an argument about what to do. And then that's when all of a sudden she's the love interest. I could see what they were going for because they were bickering a lot in the movie. No. But this is, it went from bickering to all of a sudden they're having like a deep conversation and kissing. Like there was no transition. I don't remember them kissing. I, I must have been face palming too hard to see the kiss. That's stupid. All of this is stupid. Yes. And then the imp is there again and he's listening in. Not really sure why, because literally nothing in the conversation reveals anything that Profion would need. Like, he already knows they're going to be a problem for him. And that's all they talk about, is that they decided they're going to fight him. And then Ridley gets a new sword, and two literally unnamed elves. I checked the end credits. They're called Elf 1 and Elf 2. <laughs> have a conversation in Elvish about how he has some kind of potential that he does not know about. Maybe they're talking about, like, oh, he could be a good fighter one day, but it doesn't sound like that from the delivery. It sounds like they're saying he's some kind of chosen hero, which has not even been hinted at at any point in this movie at this point. And we're going into the third act. I mean, it's kind of hinted because he was smart enough to open the scroll thingy, but, I mean, that's about it. Yes, but that was also for an inadequately explained reason. Because reasons. Yes, so then we get to the accordion light, and they, they find the dungeon entrance. They try to enter, but there's a magic barrier. And rather than the magic barrier keeping everyone out, it keeps everyone out but Ridley. I don't understand why. Maybe it's because he's... It's the sword. I, I don't know, because the, the place was designed to protect the rod. So I'm, I'm assuming it's the ruby, but they never actually say that, though. I thought it was the sword. The sword worked with the rod or some... It, it is some kind of magical sword, like, generically magic. I don't know. Like I said, they never explain it. Yeah. So Ridley falls down a chute that conveniently deposits him in front of the lock where he needs to put it in the ruby. He goes in, finds the rod. He tries to take it from a skeleton. That is, I guess, the, the creator of the rod, who is cursed to keep watch over it. And at this point, we see the rod, and it is the most Power Rangers-looking weapon they could have made. Oh, like, yeah. It's cheap red plastic with dragon scales and spikes on it. And it's very difficult to take seriously as a potential world-ending weapon. Everything about this gave me Princess Bride vibes and Power Rangers vibes. Everything throughout this movie. You could see the budget. It, it was... <laughs> it could have used a little more money, though. Th with the script, it wouldn't have saved it. So it's probably best that they cut their losses. <laughs> so the skeleton warns that the rod will corrupt whoever uses it, and the spell must be broken. But he doesn't explain how. Yada yada yada. We're back at the Imperial Capital. The Empress has summoned her dragon army with her scepter. 
and is sending them to fight Profion and like a dozen mages inside of a tower. And then somehow all the party members are there. Well, so I want to talk about the Empress's tactical decision making here. She she sees a dragon die and it upsets her. So she decides that the best move that she can do is to get on the back of a dragon and ride it. Putting herself in danger, even though she has the staff. And if she falls, the bad guys get what they want. And then there's a lot of bad CG dragon fighting. And then Ridley exits the cave. Damodar has found them again because he always finds them when it's dramatically convenient. He's holding everybody else hostage. Ridley hands over the rod in exchange. And of course, he betrays him. But it doesn't matter because they all easily fight their way out anyways, which I guess they could have done while they were being held hostage, but whatever. Damodar uses magic to return to Profion, demands to be set free of the worm thing. Profion does that, uses the rod to summon his own army of dragons. Oh, and Ridley slipped in the portal behind Damodar. And so that Ridley and Damodar fight. Their fight mirrors a bunch of things that Damodar did to the team, including being stabbed from behind and then thrown off a tower. So he's dead, but he's the only one who comes back for the sequel. And then they have the requisite fight against Profion, where now the party just magically, there's no explanation. They're just there. Yep. And they all fight him. He's able to fight them off somehow. Ridley is tempted to use the rod, but destroys it instead. Uh, so the red, red dragons that Profion was controlling aren't under his control anymore. The Empress uses her rod to control a dragon and it eats Profion. And then both the dragon armies disappear. And then we get to the ending, which... Mm. So, we hear her from off-screen. The Empress declares to someone, presumably a large crowd of people, but we don't see the crowd, again, probably for budget reasons. She declares that everyone is equal. And she declares that over footage of a cemetery where Snails is buried. It's just very abrupt, like they forgot that they needed to address it and then they had her record dialogue afterwards. Okay, so when you get to this cemetery, there's rock or something. What is it? Yeah, so they couldn't afford a headstone for snails, so they, they carved his name into a rock. Yeah, so you're the savior of the kingdom, but they couldn't give you money for a decent headstone for your friend who sacrificed his life to help save the kingdom. Yes. And I notice he's off at the edge of the graveyard, too, away from everybody else. It's just a bunch of rocks stacked on top of each other. Yes. They didn't think that through, I don't think. So Ridley, I guess, finally realizing how wrong it was to manipulate his friend into stealing the ruby and lying about how they were going to sell it instead of trying to save the kingdom, he puts the ruby on Snail's grave. And he's going to leave it there because, you know, that won't get stolen within the hour. And then there's a gust of wind. Snail's name is de-carved out of the stone. And the ruby starts glowing. And then Norda, again, with her out-of-nowhere explanations that seem to exist purely to get people to stop questioning the plot, explains that Snail's is waiting for Ridley and tells him to not question his gift. And then the party all put their hands on the ruby and they turn into lights and fly away into the sky and that's the end of the movie. None of these powers were at all even mentioned as things that the ruby could do. Nope. And the mage is still useless. (laughs) (laughs) 
Well, at this point, everyone's been equipped with new gear, so presumably she has a magical focus at this point and oh, can whatever. actually do stuff again. For the sequel that would have had a budget if the movie were good enough to get a sequel. All right. So, final impressions. Uh, that was an absolute mess, but it was very fun to make fun of. Yes, it was an entertaining mess, especially any time that Jeremy Irons was on screen, because we really just spent our whole time just wondering what he was going for. I have a theory that he read the script and he's like, I want the money, but I'm going to have my fun. And he's just decided, <laughs> I'm going to see how much I can overact before the director tells me to dial it down. And then the director never did. <laughs> <laughs> That's my theory. Uh, Snails was my favorite. Snails really held it together. Yeah, I mean, he didn't get much great dialogue either, but you could tell Marlon Wayans was trying. I don't know. I thought his dialogue was the best just because of how he delivered it. Yeah, so many things made no sense. And I swear the elf was there just to try convincing the audience not to question things. Yes, it was half of her screen time is spent just papering over poorly explained things that really could have used like a line or two of explanation. <laughs> this is a thing that these two must do alone because they're the chosen ones or something like that. Like, because. he's got special powers. He's he's the chosen one. Do not question your gifts. <laughs> That's my favorite one. <laughs> literally telling him almost speaking to the audience do not question it <laughs> hey bro uh your bestie's alive now cuz ruby and uh don't question it okay bye let's all turn into light now and blast off like we're in the power rangers movie or something blast off in a beam of light like we're teleporting to the command center for power rangers yeah, th this was entertaining bad. The type of thing I would expect to see in, like, Mystery Science Theater. Yeah. I I've heard that the next one is worse, and there's another one after that that Why? I know exists, but I know nothing about it, so it's probably even worse than the second one. I don't like this. <laughs> and then there's an animated one. <laughs> Jeff. <laughs> You're not filling my year with bad Dungeons and Dragons. You're not. We'll probably hold off on those. I, I think the next one we do, depending on the OGL situation, which we will have discussed, we will either do the 2023 D&D movie or the Warcraft adaptation, which I've heard is actually pretty solid. And that's all we have for this week. Please join us again on March 21st when we will be posting our first impressions of the West End Games Star Wars RPG. Our podcast can be found on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and our Mountain of Sourcebooks YouTube channel. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at mountain underscore of underscore source underscore books and to follow our Facebook page MOSB-Mountain of Sourcebooks, where you can get updates on everything that's happening with us. And on all of those services, if you could follow, like, and subscribe, that would help us a ton as it raises our visibility and makes it easier for people on those various platforms to find us. 
And if you're feeling particularly generous, consider donating to our Patreon. You can find that at patreon.com slash MOSB underscore 2022. And with all that said, thank you for listening. Careful on your way back down the mountain.